Good singing, guys. Good songs. Good singing. Uh, who's picking out the songs? Okay. You're doing a great job, man. You know, someone asked me that question one time. What do you think you're going to do in front of Jesus? Are you going to be awestruck and unable to speak, or will you dance? And I said, yes, of course. Yes is the answer. At some point, I'll do both, I'm sure. At some point. Uh, part of my introduction tonight is a song. It's a it's a very beautiful song. It's a song that has deep meaning for Karen and me as we both came through uh, deep trauma and trial about 15 years ago. Our personal lives and our personal dreams uh, were shattered and uh, we were utterly broken and empty. And as is often the case, that is when we really started listening to the Lord. And appropriately enough, the song is entitled, I Will Listen by Twyla Paris. So I want to ask you to please listen to the words closely. Uh, it's my part of my introduction tonight. Dreamer now, wonder 
How many of you know this song? Not very many, huh? Karen and I love this song, and uh, I have to share with you that uh, I love that line. Could it be that He is only waiting there to see, that being God? If I will learn to love the dreams that He has dreamed for me, I speak from personal experience, maybe some of you could as well. I have discovered in my relationship with Jesus Christ that my dreams are way too small. Do I have any, any amens on that? Amen. My dreams are way too small. God's dreams are never small Amen. for His people. They are always bigger, more joyous, and more satisfying than we could ever imagine. His call is always radical. It's always to follow on the heels of Jesus Christ. That's the dream that the Father has for all of His adopted children. I know many of those who call themselves Christians, they, they have dreams that differ really very little from those of the world. You know, the proverbial good life, uh, good health, good marriage, good kids, nice house, enough money to enjoy uh, the things of life, and maybe, maybe who knows, maybe a chance to, to have a career or a job that, that makes a difference in the world, the proverbial good life. There's nothing inherently wrong with any of these things, but if we call ourselves Christians, we understand there's something dramatically missing from that picture. Anyone want to tell me what it is? <laughs> God. God's missing. You know, a, a life-changing encounter with the living God. The highest and best and most breathtaking dream to know and to love and to walk with and to worship and to serve and obey the Lord Jesus Christ. The highest dream of any man or woman. The highest and best. There's an American Christian counselor and author. His name is Larry Crabb. He says it like this, God will lovingly shatter our lesser dreams in order that uh, He may fully give Himself to us. It's almost like sometimes in our life, God has to get the junk out of the way so we can actually see Him and love Him and go with Him. I love how Larry Crabb says that God will lovingly shatter our lesser dreams in order to fully give Himself to us. Now, the Apostle Paul had some huge dreams, didn't he? He was going to be what? He was going to be the perfect Jew, right? He was the perfect Jew. He was circumcised on the eighth day, the, the, the nation of Israel, the, the, the tribe of Benjamin. He was a, an accomplished Pharisee. As unto the law, what does he say? I'm blameless. He was a perfect Jew. And he was prosecuting or persecuting the church. When God invaded his life, on that day, on that road to Damascus, God shattered every one of those lesser dreams. Every one of them. Listen to Larry Crabb again. Our shattered dreams are never random. They are always a chapter in a larger story. Shattered dreams are not accidents of fate. They are ordained opportunities for the Spirit first to awaken and then to satisfy the highest and best dream, which is, someone tell me, Knowing and walking with Jesus Christ in a radical way. Amen. I love how Crabb says this. Shattered dreams are never random. They're not accidents. They're ordained opportunities to be awakened 
to the purpose for which we were created and redeemed. Crab goes on to say this, manageable, I love this, manageable dreams are not worthy of an unmanageable God. Little small manageable dreams are unworthy of Jehovah. They're unworthy of Jesus Christ. I love those great words in that song, indescribable. You, know, you guys know that great song. And God is called the uncontainable and the untamable. Amen? He is uncontainable. He is untamable. He is unmanageable. From man's perspective, one theologian said it like this, we live our lives before the wild, dangerous, unfettered, and free character of the living God. You cannot domesticate Jesus Christ, beloved. Now I know that... There, I know that there are many uh, denominations that operate under the, the, the title of Christian and I know they try to manage God and they try to manage conversion and they, they try to manage every aspect of the Christian faith. But beloved, if we read our Bibles, we understand it's supernatural. Amen? Biblical Christianity is supernatural. You cannot tame it. You cannot domesticate it. You remember Lucy's question about Aslan and C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia, right? Remember? Remember her question? She asked Mr. Miss Beaver about Aslan. She heard he was a lion. She said, well, is, is, is he quite safe? And what did Mr. Beaver say? Safe? Of course he's not safe. But he's good. Amen? Of course he's not safe. But he's good. Paul learned that firsthand, hasn't he? We've been talking a little bit about it in our exposition of the book of Philippians. It's not always safe to walk with Aslan, but it is always a breathtaking God encounter. It's not always safe, but it is always awesome. And Paul happily let go of his lesser dreams. Remember how he said it in Philippians 3.8? What did he say about his lesser dreams? He said they are... The Greek, the Greek is refuse. The King James translates it dung. He said, man, those little bitty dreams about being the perfect Jew, he said, they don't mean anything to me anymore. I've met Christ. And He means everything. Everything. It's real Christianity. <laughs> it's not the brain dead, heart dead, I show up for church on Sunday, but it doesn't matter the rest of the week kind of thing. It's not that. Biblical Christianity is a genuine God encounter. So let me ask you here at the outset, before I get into the text, whose dreams are you dreaming? Are you still dreaming your own dreams? Those lesser dreams? Or are you learning to love the dreams that God has dreamed for you? I think this is a, an urgently important question for every one of us tonight. And it's really easy to know whose dreams you're dreaming, whether they're God's or whether they're yours. You know how? If you're dreaming your own dreams, you can do every one of them in your own strength. That's how you know. If it's just, if it's just something that you've conjured up, oh, you can get it accomplished in your own strength. You'll know if it's God's dream because you can't do it without Him. Amen? You can't do it unless God shows up. You can know whose dreams you're dreaming, whether God's or yours. God invaded Paul's life on the road to Damascus and he will not settle for little manageable dreams anymore. He's radically going with 
the Lord Jesus Christ. Being a perfect Jew doesn't mean anything to Him anymore. Just radical obedience to Jesus. No more small dreams for Paul. No more comfortable assumptions. No more mediocre expectations. He's going to go with Christ whether it's safe or not. <laughs> we know, again, if we read our New Testament, it wasn't safe for Paul at all, was it? You know, modern Christianity's devolved into something of, of well, if, it's, if I'm going to have to take a risk, no. Beloved, that's not what we read. That's not what we read on the pages of the New Testament. For Paul, only God-sized dreams would do. Safety was no longer a major concern. Paul learned it. It's not always safe to walk with Aslan, but it is always breathtaking. Any amens on that? It is always breathtaking to go with Jesus. We've been seeing in this book of Philippians, not only is it breathtaking, it's, it's always joyous. We've been talking about the fact that this uh, little epistle has been called the Epistle of Joy. Actually, Paul's in prison when he writes this. We've been talking about this the last couple of weeks. Yes, he's in prison. Yes, he's being slandered by the, uh, some members outside, uh, outside of Rome and in the church. And yes, he, he faces the death penalty, but none of that can touch his joy. That's what we've been seeing in the first chapter of Philippians. Paul got life right. It's not about... Him, it's about, you know, if, if you don't ever learn anything in this church, <laughs> this is one thing. This is one thing that you're going to learn because I never, I never let up on this. It's not about you. The universe doesn't revolve around you. It doesn't revolve around me. It revolves around one being. His name is Jesus. And until you get that order right in your life, well, you're still living those little bitty dreams. <laughs> you're still living those little bitty man-made dreams. Dreams. Isn't it the saddest possible life imaginable that it's all about me? Beloved, I have to tell you, you're not that interesting. You can't even hold your own interest. You're going to be bored in less than an hour if it's all about you. You know, the world is full of bored people. Even many who call themselves Christians, they're just bored. Well, it's because many have just made their lives about them. And when it's just about you, Man, that is boring. That is boring. I mean, you're not that interesting. I, I'm not that interesting. I can't hold my own attention very long. But we're called to look at God. We're called to look at Him. God hasn't redeemed His people for small dreams. God hasn't redeemed His people for manageable dreams. He's redeemed His people for God-sized dreams. For Christ-absorbed life, Christ-consumed life, and a Christ-centered life. It's what we've been talking about in Philippians chapter 1 and what we talked a lot about last week. Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, to live is Christ, to die is gain. And as I told you last week, if you push me to the wall and you ask me to define New Testament Christianity and you only get one verse, that's the verse I would pick. It's a, as John Piper says, it's a tsunami verse. It separates the sheep and the goats. You either love that verse and you go with Christ or that verse scares you to death and you walk away. I, love, I like how Piper talks about it. Tsunami. It's a tsunami verse in the life of everyone who hears it. 
Paul is saying in Philippians 1.21, as John Piper has said so well, Jesus Christ is better than anything this life can give, and Jesus Christ is better than anything death can take. So tonight, in our text, Paul continues to, to teach us about not settling for small dreams, but loving and living the dreams of God. Verses 21 to 24, Philippians chapter 1. For to me, Paul says, to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me, and I do not know which to choose. But I am hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ. For that is very much better. Don't you love that? I mean, you never see this in the New Testament, this, this triple comparative. Very much better. Verse 24. Yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. The Apostle Paul says, this is the confession of every maturing believer. To live is not about me and my small dreams. It is about Christ. It is about Christ. It's about the dreams that God has dreamed for me. I love how Paul says it in Galatians 2.20. You know the, the well-known verse. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God. What a beautiful verse. Amen. That small little life that Paul used to live, just being a perfect Jew and keeping the law and tithing his mint and dill and cumin, that doesn't compare now. He has met the living God and he's walking with Him radically. He's sold out. You know, we talked about it a couple of months ago. Real Christianity. Sold out. No standing on the fence. No being merely religious. Sold out. Sold out. To go with Christ. Paul is walking with the living God. No, it's not always safe. No, it's not always comfortable. No, it's not always easy, but it is always life. It is always the abundant life. Big with God and big with joy. Did you notice in, uh, when I shared Galatians 2.20 with you, Paul says, I can't walk with Jesus uh, in my own strength. I do it by faith. I do it by faith in the Son of God. It's Hebrews 11 faith. Jim, I know you're saying, Jim, you talk about Hebrews 11 faith all the time. Well, let me ask you, how are we saved? What does the New Testament tell us? By faith. And then God gives us one whole chapter where He defines it and illustrates it. I don't think I could... Hey, I think I could preach Hebrews 11 every Sunday. And it wouldn't be wrong. It wouldn't be wrong. What a beautiful, beautiful chapter. God really expects His people to live their faith out there in the world. He really expects it, beloved. I, to, I tell you this all the time. It's not academic. <laughs> it's just not academic with the Lord. All you got to do is go read the stories. Men and women who traded their small dreams for God. I'm just going to ask you again. Have you done that? Have you done that? Abraham, he traded his small dreams for God. Moses, he traded his small dreams for God. Rahab traded her small dreams for God. David, beloved, is it real in your life? 
I think this is one thing that the Holy Spirit is talking to us about tonight. Those guys in Hebrews 11, those men and women in Hebrews 11, man, what did they call themselves? They were just strangers and exiles. Beloved, you know that about yourself, right? Is that how you see yourself? You're a stranger and you're an exile. You're a pilgrim. You're passing through. It's important that you think about yourself this way. If you don't think about yourself this way, you can never go with Christ. You'll always be trying to hold on to whatever it is you think you own. Which we know scripturally, we don't own anything. It's all God's, right? It all belongs to the Lord. Paul says, I get it. I'm a vapor. I'm a vapor upon the earth. Paul says, I get that. And because he gets it, he lives it. I'm going to ask you, are you living that reality in your life? Are you living that reality in your life? We're here only for a few moments. Look at verse 22. Look what he says. He says, if I live on in the flesh, I will use my vapor. Yes, I'm involved in vapor utilization. I'll use it for fruitful labor, he says. Not just for, you know, brain-dead church attendance, for fruitful labor. We talked a lot about it 18 months ago in our Heaven series. Um, God has left us on this planet not to accumulate cash and portfolios and stuff. He's left us here to accumulate, what does Jesus say in Luke chapter 12? Unfailing treasures in heaven. That's why you're here. Yeah, I know we have other things to do. And I know we, we, we have lives and families and, and careers and jobs. I understand that. But Jesus Christ sits on top of all of that and all of that is submitted to Him. And, and we, we live our lives in service to Him and we make Him famous in our orbit. To live as Christ, to die is gain. Jesus says, accumulate for yourselves unfailing treasures in heaven. Yes, we're still on the planet, but it is not our preeminent focus as it as we learn from the men and women of Hebrews 11. Three times in Hebrews 11, it talks about these men and women. They're looking at God. They're looking at heaven. They're aiming at the Bema seat. Everybody know what the Bema seat is? That day you stand in front of Christ and you give an account. They're pointing at the Bema seat. That reality governs every other reality in their life. Again, New Testament Christianity. And Paul saying, if the Lord lets me live, I'm going to radically invest my life and all my resources in the kingdom of God. <laughs> wow, you can't really preach that in very many places anymore. People don't believe it. People don't believe it. That's what it, people just think, well, I'm just supposed to pray a prayer and get baptized, and I'm a Christian. That's all that matters. Beloved, if we read our Bibles, we know there's more to it. I love how C.S. Lewis says it. He says, if you read history, you will find uh, those Christians who did the most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. Aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get neither. That's very true. That's very true. Brother Lewis hit the nail on the head there. And I love how Paul says it in this text. He says, whether I live or die, I'm aiming at heaven. Let me ask you, beloved, is that the first thing on your list? Aim at heaven today. Aim at Christ today. Be ready for the Bema seat today. I mean, this is how Paul lived. 
None of us do it perfectly. I understand that. I'm not, I'm not calling you to perfection. I'm calling you to direction. Right? There should be the direction of your life. None of us do it perfectly. I have to confess every day. I know that I've let the Lord down. And I've not been a good steward as I should be. To live is Christ. To die is gain. To live is to be used of Christ. To die is to be with Christ. That's Christianity. That's biblical Christianity. To live is to be used of Christ. To die is to be with Christ. You may remember in our study of Colossians that Luke is with Paul. You guys remember this, right? Dr. Luke is with uh, Paul in Rome. And I love, I love it when, you, when you're studying the Bible. I know this has happened to many of you. You're studying the Bible and, you, and, and a kind of a light goes on. you know. And it's something you never thought about before. It's something you've never seen before. And, I, and I'm going to maybe uh, extrapolate here a little bit. Maybe I'm taking some license. But Luke is with Paul. And I think, I think they're sitting around talking. I think Luke is saying, Hey man, you know what I heard? What Jesus said about the parables of the menace? You guys know this? You know the parables of the menace? And I can hear Luke and Paul sitting around prison talking about this. You know, Luke comes to visit him. And he says, well, the Holy... I can hear Luke saying, well, the Holy Spirit is leading me to, to put that parable in the Gospel. You know the parable, right? The parable is a picture of God giving endowments to His creatures. God will ultimately return and ask for an accounting uh, of the stewardship of those endowments. Here are the words of Jesus, Luke chapter 19. A nobleman went, on a distant, uh, went to a distant country to receive a kingdom for himself and then return. And before he went, he called his ten, his ten slaves and gave them ten minas and said to them, Do business with these until I come back. When he returned after receiving the kingdom, he ordered that these slaves to whom he had given the money be called to him so that they might give an account of the business they had done while he was gone. And I think I can just I can hear Paul hearing what Luke is saying, and that word just sticks in his head. You know that he just hears that. He hears that. Do business. Do business. Beloved, you're here to do business. You say, well, Jim, no, I'm just here because my career brought me here, my job brought me here, my husband brought me here, my school brought me here. Wrong! That's one reason you're here, but that's a subordinate reason. You're here to do business. You're here to do the Master's business. You're here to make Jesus famous in your orbit. You know, that's my short way of saying glorify God in your life. Glorify God in your life. That's what Paul is saying and that's how Paul is living. He says, man, I'm going to do spiritual business. I'm going to do spiritual business. should be the mindset of every true believer. Someone here might say, well, Jim, you don't understand my difficulty. You don't understand my situation. My situation is not conducive to doing spiritual business. Now, wait a minute. What is Paul's situation? He's in prison. He's chained to a Roman soldier. Not very conducive to doing spiritual business, but what have we learned uh, as we studied Colossians and Philippians? Paul, in this imprisonment, will write four books of the Bible and many in the Praetorian Guard will be saved because he's just evangelizing them. Beloved, this is, 
I know none of us get to write anything in the Bible. I understand that. That's, that's over. Those gigs are done. We don't get to do that. I understand that. But you can be sharing Christ every day. You can be doing business every day. And Paul says, that's how it is for me. Every day is just a day to do business. A day to do business for Christ. Paul's building his life around that one reality. The day he gives an account to Jesus. And he wants to hear those beautiful words Matthew chapter 25. What's, what's Jesus going to say to His faithful servants? Well done. Well done. You were faithful over a little. I will put you over much. And I love it when Jesus says this. Enter into your Master's joy. This is why you can't take Paul's joy his joy's in the bank, right? His joy's in the bank. It's divine joy. No one can have it. No one can touch it. Beloved. Yeah, that's how we ought to be too. That's how we ought to be as well. Paul says, if I live or die, I'm aiming at heaven. If I live, I'll do spiritual business to please my awesome God. If I die, I will go and be with my awesome God. Any amens? Beloved, that's your New Testament call. That's your New Testament call. You be used up for Christ. What are you saving yourself for? Do you, want, you, you, know, you, just, you just want to be a good-looking corpse? I mean, what are you saving yourself for? Give yourself away you know, to Jesus like Paul's talking about. This is the call. This is the call. New Testament. Christianity. Look at verse 22 and 24. Paul says, I don't know which to choose. I love this. He says, I'm hard-pressed from both directions. Having a desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. Yet to remain on in the flesh because it is more necessary. Let me ask you, beloved, do you feel that tension in your life? This keen desire to go. I'm convinced that we in some measure should feel this tension in our life. A keen desire to go, but a willingness to stay if it's profitable for the cause of Christ and for the salvation of the lost and for us to use our gifts and to love and serve the body. I'm convinced that we should be feeling this, this tension as well. Paul says, yeah, it's very much better to be with Christ you almost want to say, duh! Yes! It's very much better to be with Christ. It's like those creatures in Revelation 4. You guys know the great text. They were full of eyes all around and within. And all they've done from an eternity past is look at God and they can't look at Him enough. And they just wish they had one more eye to drink in more of His beauty and His godness. Yes! <laughs> it's very much better to be in the breathtaking presence of the living God. Paul says to live is Christ. To die is gain. It's real Christianity. And it's the dilemma that in some measure we all understand and feel if we're born again tonight. You know, um, if we don't understand that tension and that dilemma, it's possible we've not yet begun to begin to understand who Jesus is and what Jesus has called us to do. If we're not feeling that tension and that dilemma at all, 
if, that if those thoughts never cross our mind, it's very possible that we, one, don't really know who He is, and two, we don't really know what He's called us to do. Some will say to me, well, Jim, you, I'm not ready to die and, and be with Christ. I'm not ready to. I'm not ready to. I want to I graduate first. I want to fall in love first. I want to get married first. I want to have babies first. I want to accomplish some great thing in my career first. And I'll be honest with you, I've been guilty, beloved, of saying this, but I don't say it anymore. I have been convicted. I used to say, people would say to me, are you ready to die? And I always would say kind of laughingly, you know, tongue in cheek, I just want to preach one more time. And I really do want to preach one more time. But you know what? That, that betrays an utter lack of understanding about who He is and what it means to stand in His presence. It diminishes Him for His people to say, oh, I, I want to do you know, some other thing before I go and be with Christ. Beloved, it betrays a lack of understanding about who He really is and how beautiful He is and how compelling He is and how awesome He is. So, I'm going to challenge you as your pastor. Don't say that anymore. At least don't say it to me. Because <laughs> I'm going to call your hand on it. And if you, hear me say, if you hear me say, well, I just want to preach one more time, I want you to slap me in the face. <laughs> no, you don't! You just want to go be with your awesome God. Paul's right. Paul is absolutely right about this. He is absolutely right. So the Holy Spirit is teaching us an invaluable lesson. There's nothing better than being in the presence of Christ, but Jesus may have something for us to do here first. Amen? That's why we live. That's why we're still on the planet. Yeah, not to have great portfolios and buy a bunch of junk. That's not it. We're here to make Jesus famous. To live as Christ, to die, is Again, Paul says, to depart and be with Jesus is more desirable, but to stay and be used of Christ is more necessary. Again, that should be our mindset. Verse 25, and convinced of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that your proud confidence in me may abound in Christ Jesus through my coming to you again. To live is Christ, to die is gain. It doesn't really matter to Paul. He's convinced that it's God's will for him to live. Why? So he can make that vacation trip to Jerusalem. So he could meet a, meet a woman and fall in love and have babies. Is that, what Paul, is that what Paul's thinking about? That's not what Paul is thinking about. It's so he can have fruitful labor. Profitable labor. He's got one thing on his mind, preeminently, Jesus. Paul says, I believe the Lord wants me to continue for you, uh, with you for your progress and your joy in the faith. These things are always synonymous. If you're progressing in your faith, you have more joy in your faith. We talked about it last week. If you have very little joy, you call yourself a Christian, you have very little joy, it's because there's a lack of obedience somewhere in your life. Somewhere you've sat down and you're no longer hot on the heels of the living God. Paul says, I, I believe the Lord's going to lead me here to do spiritual business, to use my gifts, to uh, build up the church. 
to sow good seed to the lost. To live is to make much of Jesus, Paul says. And this progress, again, don't forget, beloved, to progress in the faith. And I love how Paul has said it here, how the Holy Spirit has prompted him to do it. To progress in faith is to progress in joy. It's a fail-safe prescription for joy. I love how Peter said it in 2 Peter 1.13, and I'm just about done. Which you know that means I have a few more minutes to go, so just relax. Peter says, 2 Peter 1.13, As long as I'm alive, it's right for me to stir you up by way of reminder. I love that. Every pastor understands that verse. Peter says, as long as I'm alive, I'm going to stir you up by way of reminder that you don't forget you're a vapor. You don't forget you're here to do spiritual business. Peter, Paul and Peter had one mind, and I think every called of God a pastor has that same mind. That's how I see my job. I'm not here to entertain you. I'm not here to educate you in an academic sense. I'm not here to give you a religious fix. I'm not here to be your life coach. I'm not here to peddle politically correct cycle Bible. I'm here to stir you up by way of reminder you remember who you belong to. You remember why you're here. And you go out there and you do it. Amen. That's my job. That's why I get paid the big money. <laughs> to stir you up. So that's why I'm always messing with you, right? Every time you come in here, I mess with you. It's because I love you, first and foremost. And really, I will say this. I fear God more than I fear you. <laughs> so I'm going to stand up here and do the best I can get to give you the truth. You know, it's like one preacher said, hey, I, I preach with my bags packed. <laughs> so, you know, if the elders and the deacons aren't happy, if the WMU, if the women's ministry, they're not happy, hey man, I'm just going to preach the gospel. I don't care. If people don't like it, if they fire me, I'm gone. My bags are packed. So, yeah, that's the way he talked anyway. I always remember, remembered that. So I'm here to remind you that I am the, is the eternal, infinite, awesome, fearsome living God. I'm here to remind you that I am is in that manger and that I am is on that cross and that I am is in that tomb and that I am came out for His people. I'm here to remind you that once you were lost, but now you were found. Once you were blind, but now you see. Once you were dead, but now you live. I'm here to remind you that once you were hopelessly hell-bound, but now you are irreversibly heaven-bound. I'm here to remind you that once you were the enemies of God, but now you are co-heirs with the Son of God. Are you stirred up yet? Man, I got stirred up just writing this stuff down. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I did. I'm here to remind you that everything you have and everything you are is from God. I'm here to remind you that you have a stewardship before God with those things. And I'm here to remind you that you one day, very, very soon, you will stand before Him and give an account. I'm here to remind you, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 19 and 20, you are not your own. You are not your own. You have been bought with a price. And the Holy Spirit says, Therefore, Glorify God. I'm here to stir you up. That you'll go out there and glorify 
the Lord. So I, I want to stir you up to put down your small, manageable dreams, your comfortable assumptions, and your mediocre expectations. I mean to stir you up to begin to live the dreams God has dreamed for you. And you'll know it when you see it. You'll know it when you see it. Because it's going to look just like Philippians uh, chapter 1, verse 21. It's going to look like to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's God's dream for you. I know it's different for every one of us in this room. But you'll know it when you see it. Because it's going to smell like Philippians 1.21. It's going to smell just like that. You can't confuse it. And my challenge to you, beloved, I could give testimony, and I'm sure there, there are some others in here who could give testimony. Don't you dare shrink back. You go with Christ. And what I want to tell you, if you go with Christ, He's going to fill you up with so much joy, you're not going to be able to stand it. I'm here to stir you up. Let's remember who we are. Let's remember what we're called to do. Your vapors upon the earth. I'm challenging you to live at large. Let's pray together. Awesome, God. We thank You for this text. What a beautiful text. Thank You that You've made it so simple for us. Thank You that You've made it so simple for us to live as Christ, to die as gain. Father, I pray that's real for every man and woman and child in this room. I pray that that's real. I pray we're not afraid of that verse, but, but we embrace that verse. We get excited about that verse. We want to live that verse. Oh, Father, grant us the faith to walk with the living God. Oh, Lord, we want to learn Hebrews 11 faith. We want to point at the Bema seat. No more small dreams. No more lukewarm Christianity. God-sized dreams. God-sized Christianity. Thank You, Father. You've reminded us we are vapors. Thank You, Father, for stirring us up as we meditate upon all of these breathtaking theological truths. How You have loved us and redeemed us. Oh Lord, I pray we would catch a new, fresh glimpse of just how awesome that is. And Father, that we would live it. We would put down our manageable dreams and we would pick Yours up. For the glory of Jesus, in His name I pray, Amen.